The KMT held a press conference on Monday to accuse the Thai government of poor economic management. KMT lawmakers blamed the DPP for rampant inflation and weak wage growth. The DPP hit back noting that foreign investment during the Thai administration was nearly double the Ma administration's. They said the KMT's criticism was misguided, pointing to data such as the unemployment rate, export value and GDP growth rate under the Thai administration. Recently, the Ministry of Finance has been waging a propaganda campaign, claiming that half of Taiwan's youth doesn't have to pay taxes. It's outrageous. People can't afford to pay taxes, but you try to spin it as a political achievement. The KMT held a press conference on Monday to criticize the Thai administration's economic policies. DPP lawmakers fired back with data. Look at the graph to see how during the Ma administration from 2008 to 2015, foreign investment in Taiwan totaled 1.2858 trillion NT. Meanwhile, from 2016 to August 2023, the total is 2.3589 trillion NT. Who was most capable? Who contributed more? I believe you can tell from the numbers. According to the DPP, the Thai administration outperformed its predecessor based on figures on exports, the stock market, the IMD world competitiveness rankings, average GDP growth rate and employment. The KMT says that they're strong in economic issues, saying that they boosted Taiwan's export value by more than 70 billion NT in eight years. We at the DPP are absolutely not buying it. Under the DPP administration, export value went up by 71.1% from 279.1 billion NT in 2016 to 479.4 billion NT last year. Despite the pandemic's impact on the world, the unemployment rate this year is at a low 3.52%. Our successive raises to the minimum wage have helped people counter inflation. In comparison with other countries, Taiwan's economy is stable and ahead of others. It's something worthy of praise. Citing Taiwan's steady rise in the IMD World Competitiveness Rankings, the DPP touted its economic management ahead of the 2024 elections. U.S. memory maker Micron Technology launched a new facility in Taichung's Holy District on Monday. Speaking at the opening ceremony, President Tsai Ing-wen said Micron's investment testified to the fact that Taiwan is a reliable and secure investment destination. She said that in recent years, her government has strived to create more robust infrastructure and conditions for investment to bolster Taiwan's economic resilience. President Tsai Ing-wen attended the opening of a new Micron facility in Taichung. She congratulated Micron for setting a new milestone in advanced packaging and DRAM manufacturing. The opening of this facility represents a milestone for Micron in advanced packaging technology and DRAM manufacturing. Here, I want to congratulate everyone on this achievement and to thank you for contributing to the success of Taiwan's memory, material and device sector. Tsai said that Micron's continued Taiwan expansion confirmed that Taiwan was a safe and reliable investment destination. Since building its A3 fab, Micron has continued to expand its investment in Taiwan. We are glad to see the major international firms such as Micron recognize that Taiwan is a reliable and secure 
investment destination. Tsai said that in recent years, the government had upgraded Taiwan's investment environment to attract foreign capital. Taiwan has a proven record of meeting challenges head-on and ensuring that our society and economy remain stable. Our ability to do so is no accident, as we know that stability starts from the ground up. Tsai hailed Micron as a key force for economic growth and innovation in Taiwan and around the world. She said she looked forward to seeing Micron expand its mark in the digital and green sectors, and she thanked the company for choosing Taiwan. Taoyuan Metro has signed a letter of intent for cooperation with South Korea's AirRex, or the Airport Railroad Express. The two metro firms agreed to exchange operational experience and know-how to boost the railway economy of both nations. The signing ceremony was presided over by Taoyuan Mayor Zhang Shanzhen. Taoyuan officials accept a gift from South Korea. Last Friday, Taoyuan Metro Corporation and Airport Railroad Company signed a letter of intent for cooperation. Taoyuan Mayor Zhang Shanzhen was present to witness the moment. South Korea's airport railroad company has a role that's very similar to Taoyuan Metro's. They both connect the nation's gateway to the capital. They both serve commuters as well as airport travelers. Both systems are linked to the railway and high-speed rail. Both metro firms run a vital transit line at the nation's gateway, one that connects an airport with the capital while also connecting to the railway and high-speed rail. The partnership deal will advance the Taiwan-South Korean friendship. It will also support the exchange of operational and technical expertise. Each of us is like a twin to the other. With respect to future business expansion and quality enhancement, I believe there are many aspects in which our two companies can share experiences. Through technical exchanges and visits, we will become partners who lead the global railway sector and grow together. Since 2018, Taoyuan Metro has engaged in global exchanges, collaborating with American and Japanese rail companies to enhance service quality. Through its new partnership with the Airport Railroad Company, Taoyuan Metro is taking another step toward its ambitious global vision. A Scottish university has returned the remains of four Paiwan warriors killed during the 1874 Mudan incident. The four skulls had been housed at University of Edinburgh in Scotland, and for the first time in history, Taiwan's indigenous community was able to secure the return of their ancestors' remains after waging a three-year campaign. The skulls are now at the Tainan branch of the National Museum of Prehistory, where they're undergoing DNA profiling. This case has tremendous significance. It realizes the vision of the UN's Declaration on the Rights of Indigenous Peoples. It's a very important breakthrough for historical and transitional justice. In the future, our tribe's younger generation will cherish even more the courageous spirit of our ancestors. We will cherish even more our traditional culture. During the Mudan incident, scores of Paiwan warriors were killed in battle. Japanese soldiers took 12 skulls back to Japan. Four of them ended up at the University of Edinburgh. Their return was secured after multiple rounds of meetings, 
involving Indigenous leaders, government officials, museum historians, and scholars. The latest update has come out about Taiwan's most common names. For the 13th year in a row, the most common given name in the country is Shu Fen. 31,000 people share the ever-popular name. The second most popular given name is Jia Hao. Meanwhile, over half the population share the top 10 most common surnames. But not all these surnames are growing. We investigated the case of one surname whose numbers have fallen in the last few years. <laughs> Ask passers-by on the street, and many people say they personally know a Shufen or Jiahao. Statistics from the Ministry of the Interior show that 14,000 people in Taiwan are called Jiahao, while 31,000 are called Shufen. Indeed, Shufen has been the number one most popular given name in Taiwan for 13 years in a row. I think there are two Shufens in my company. Meanwhile, more than half the country's population, 12.33 million people, share Taiwan's 10 most common surnames, Chen, Lin, Huang, Zhang, Li, Wang, Wu, Liu, Cai, and Yang. Among them, the Huang clan has shrunk the most recently, with 23,000 fewer Huangs here today than there were in 2018. Wow, I will be presenting this news, this service case to our Huang Family Association and asking them to put it in the agenda to discuss at the next meeting. I suddenly realized that I'm the only Huang in Taipei City Council. I want to cheer on all my friends surnamed Huang. Let's have lots of children in the service of our country and have more and more Huangs. The news was shocking for Kaohsiung City Councilor Huang Jie and Taipei City Councilor Huang Jingying as they urged their fellow Huangs to carry on the family line. The Kaohsiung City government has opened a school to support Taiwan's net zero ambitions. The Net Zero Institute was launched at Kaohsiung Software Technology Park in a ceremony attended by President Tsai Ing-wen. Here at the Net Zero Institute, related issues and research will be reviewed. Net Zero concepts will be promoted widely in an easy-to-understand format. So all of you, after you finish the classes, let me know if you understood the lessons. If not, we will ask them to redesign the curriculum. As we proceed toward the Net Zero target, we hope that more friends will join us at the Net Zero Institute. For one thing, it will help us align with global certification bodies. For another, it advances cooperation between industry and academia. The Net Zero Institute will provide certification courses technical courses, and lessons in general knowledge. According to Kaohsiung's Environmental Protection Bureau, there will be more than 50 certification courses on carbon auditing and carbon footprints next year. Technical courses will be designed and offered based on industry needs. Taiwan loves chocolate, but with 80% of Taiwan's chocolate made from imported beans, how can manufacturers be sure the cocoa they import is produced ethically and safely? Traceability of beans is a growing movement, leading companies to trace their beans throughout the supply chain right back to the farms they're grown at. So what does it mean if you buy chocolate that claims to be in a source tracing scheme? FTV reporter Ye Weixiang visited a cocoa farm in Vietnam to meet Mr. Hung, who grows cocoa for Taiwanese manufacturers, and told us what the scheme means for him. A farmer in a polo shirt uses a long hoe he made himself. 
Mr. Hong is a cocoa farmer who lives in Ben Tre Province, Vietnam. His daily routine involves getting ripe bean pods down and into the basket. It may seem simple, but our reporter discovered it's not as easy as Mr. Hong makes it look. Climate change and global inflation have affected Vietnam's cocoa production, leading to a shortage of more than 180,000 tons. Natural pests are an issue throughout the process of planting, cultivating, and harvesting the beans. But cocoa farmers are also at risk of exploitation by global conglomerates. That's one of the reasons this cocoa source tracing scheme was born. I harvest about 15 tons a year on average. We can sell that for about 7,000 US dollars. It costs a lot to care for the cocoa trees, but I can manage it by myself. If I grew rambutan, half of my money would be spent on hiring workers. Mr. Hung makes 140,000 NT a year just through cocoa farming. As part of the scheme, he gets an extra payment of 4 NT for each kilogram of cocoa beans, which is equivalent to another month or two of income. Meanwhile, his cocoa tree's lifespans are extended and his business is sustainable. So the benefit of our program to the farmer, first of all, we pay a premium for the quality of the beans they supply to us. Secondly, we pay what we call, we invented what we call the chocolate bonus, which is an additional payment to the farmer. Open up the pod and taste the raw bean, and it's a little like mangosteen. Within six hours, the freshly harvested wet beans are sent to the harvesting station just for the tracing scheme. Their sugar content is tested, they ferment and dry in the sun. Then they're sent on to further locations for processing. In the end, these beans will become the chocolate that so many of us can't live without. Taiwanese companies have joined this cocoa source tracing scheme to prevent the exploitation of cocoa farmers and to ensure food safety standards. And that's the strategy to get a slice of the chocolate market, which is worth more than 9 billion NT a year. Taiwan table tennis star Ling Eunru has snapped his second championship title of the year. At the WTT Champions Frankfurt final, Lin went head-to-head -head against the greatest in the sport, China's Ma Long. After losing the first game, Lin made a stunning comeback, winning four back-to-back -back games to secure the gold. This is Lin's first ever title at a champions competition. It's the final at the WTT Champions Frankfurt. World number 12 Lin Yunru from Taiwan faces off against world number 3 Ma Long from China. The first two sets both ended at 11-7, with one win for Ma and one for Lin. The following games were fiercely contested, each going to deuce. Lin got some help from a netball in the third set. Ma rolled onto the ground to return it, but Lin seized the moment with an easy smash that leveled the score 7-7. He rode the momentum to win the set 13-11, moving into a 2-1 lead. He hit his stride in the fourth set, reaching game point first once again. Lin claimed the fourth set 12-10, putting the pressure on his frustrated rival. In the fifth set, Lin capitalized on Ma's errors to win again 12-10.
And with that fourth consecutive victory, Lin defeated the mighty Ma 4-1, nabbing his second championship title of the year and first career win at a champion's event. Lin said he could barely believe his own performance and especially his victory over Ma. First of all, I am extremely happy to have won the competition. As for my match against Ma, I approached it as a challenge. He is the greatest player in the world, so I went into it thinking I should not hold back and fight. It's unbelievable. I never thought I'd win. In the women's singles final, it was China versus China. On one side was world number five Wang Yid, fresh off beating her compatriot Sun Yisha in the semifinals. In the gold medal match, she defeated world number three Wang Manyu in four straight games to win the first champion's title of her career. Now for a spotlight on one of Taiwan's latest urban sports, parkour. The athletic discipline is all about moving through space in an efficient way. It doesn't require any equipment. Parkour artists or tracers use buildings in the environment as props for their sport. The fast-growing discipline combines movement practices from martial arts, military training, and many other sources. FTV met a leading parkour coach to learn what it's really all about. A tracer jumps smoothly with both feet off a red brick wall before spinning in mid-air as if his legs have springs inside. Sportswear, running shoes, incredible limb coordination, guts and know-how are all vital for parkour, the sport where a park, sports ground or empty wall can all become the stage. There are movements that have been derived from gymnastics, martial arts and the films of Jackie Chan. It means running freely and just jumping on any obstacle you encounter. Parkour, a French word, appeared in the 1980s, turning urban landscapes into training grounds where somersaults, flying leaps and breakdancing were combined into an extreme sport. More and more people in Taiwan are getting into parkour. But in a sport with no rules and no safety protections in the wide world, experts suggest that beginners should start by practicing at an indoor center to train the basic skills. Some tracers test their limits by showing off thrilling moves on roads or building tops, which can lead to misconceptions about what parkour is. It's not just about performing difficult stunts. That idea is harmful for you, but also, I think, very harmful to the sport. People say, oh, parkour is all about jumping off buildings, right? That doesn't mean anything when you're trying to promote parkour. However you practice, parkour moves are cool, maybe even more so when they're safe and legal. An artist in Miali has invented a new way to sculpt with metal wires. Zhou Wenjia calls his innovative craft one-wire folding because each piece of art is made with a single wire. He creates all different kinds of animal sculptures with the method he believes may be unique. The Zhuolan Township resident talked to us about his lifelong love of art and how he keeps his creativity alive while handling the family business. These different kinds of fish have all been twisted into shape from metal wire. You can twist it into a 3D shape. It doesn't take more than 50 NT of materials. Zhuo Wenjia, 60, uses a pair of pliers to mold the wire into shape, with no welding required. It's all one length of wire from head to tail. He christened the craft one wire folding. 
Firstly, hardly anyone does this. What you see online is mostly copper and aluminum wire. Metal wire things usually use welding or cable ties, as I just said. Very few people do it all in one piece, as in one wire folding. Jewel's method works as well for 3D creations as 2D. He has always been interested in art and previously worked as the creative director for an advertising company. In 1996, he moved back to his hometown, Jolan Township in Miaoli, to take on his dad's hardware store. In his spare time, he started making things with the materials lying around at home, and eventually, the art of one wire folding was born. Firstly, you have to have joys in life so long as they don't hurt you. Why? Because it will go with you throughout life. So I realized that I always liked artistic stuff in middle and high school, and it's continued up to the present day. Apart from his metal wire art, Jewel also gets creative with plastic bottles and a palette knife, carving out these beautiful scenes. Although taking on the family store was not his original plan, now that it's his decision, he's determined to do it as well as he can while keeping the flame of his art alive. What's next on the horizon? Well, watch out for a class in one wire folding someday soon.